with Sarah Hendy. Brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. Well, Faster Mai, and welcome along to the programme. This evening, our guest is interior designer, among many other things, Romana Swinton, who'll be telling us about some of her past projects, inspirations and her creative process. As always, the programme will be available as a podcast just as soon as we come off air. But to make sure you don't miss a thing, you can subscribe for free wherever you find your podcasts or on the Manx Radio website, of course. Also, if there's anything creative going on which you'd like to see us cover, just email spotlight at manxradio.com and let me know. It's always great to hear from you and you always give me really great ideas. So thank you. Now, our guest on the programme this evening is interior designer Rumana Swinton, whose work you'll definitely be familiar with since she was the creative force behind the interiors of the railway, the British and 1886 in Douglas and the boatyard in Peel, among a host of other big ticket projects behind closed doors and further afield as well. She popped up to the station to talk to me about her practice in this intriguing creative profession. When I was growing up in the 90s, watching Changing Rooms, to be an interior designer like Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen with all of his um, sort of, I don't know, ruffled finery or um, Linda Barker, Barker, yeah, Um, it was so inspiring. And I think I think the wonderful thing about this is that every every creative outlet is a wonderful way to tell stories. And I think for me, that was the thing that was so exciting. And I feel as though this is a big part of interior design for you too. I would definitely say that's a huge part for me. And I think one of the things um, about when you're creating an interior is to sort of um, fulfill a picture that might be in your head. You might have created an image from being inside somebody's interior, whether it's a restaurant, a bar, or whether it's a, a client's house, and you're building up this picture, so a mental picture. And one of the things you do as a designer is you kind of bring that to life. And I think it's really important to create spaces that people not only enjoy and, and you know, are stimulated in, but to, that they can understand. And so it's not too overcomplicated or, um, you know, kind of simplifying interiors is one of the things I enjoy doing. And it's so fascinating how how much our environment shapes our frame of mind um because i know you know when you talk about doing sort of private commissions for people's homes you must you know you want them to feel comfortable it's their home it's got to feel like it's of them but then for example if you were doing the you know the lobby for um flemings and mayfair you got a a totally different energy you want to put across and you're shaping people's experiences how how is that process for you what does the research look like on that front I think, so, for example, taking Flemings that you mentioned, um, that was a really exciting project. And bearing in mind I'm just a, a little girl from the Isle of Man, I had no expectations that I would get that a project. And I, I had to audition um, and present to the board. And one of the things I did was just go back to basics, go back to art, think about the creative process, think about what it is you want to bring to the interior. And with Flemings, um, the building itself had been built in um, 1851, which was the time of the Great Exhibition. So I was able to think about, okay, what was happening around 
um, London at that time and it was a time when people were exploring and traveling doing the grand tour around India so these were all the influences I started to put together and it was again like you say a story and from that story I was able to put together um, sort of the mood board and think about the um, the color palette and what I actually wanted to show Um, and that's kind of how the design sort of came about and yeah it's being bold thinking about the colors and the impact the colors have on people making sure if it's an environment you want people to be calm that you're not using too many shouty colors and and also appealing to a mass audience where but still having a strong enough um, confidence to to put together a signature interior so it's really exciting it's really really cool yeah yeah it really sounds it um where did you learn that language of interiors and colour and texture and impact of a room? I think, um, so my background is, um, I'd studied fine art, um, I'd studied over here and had some great teachers, Ian Coulson was one of them and so encouraging, um, I was a portrait painter by trade and that was something that, again, was a similar process to interiors, which might sound a bit crazy, but um, so for me when I was painting a portrait I couldn't actually start until I could picture it finished and I'm exactly the same now, so the process I, I have when I approach an interior is the same as a portrait so um, if I can picture the room finished or the bar finished um, then I can actually carry it out carry, you know create it so um, I think there's been so many influences I'm really influenced by um, sort of the art world I love paintings I love going to exhibitions um, we get to go to shows normally in the normal climate um, in Paris or in Italy and we get to see what's launched and that's usually sort of two years ahead of the high street. So you're really getting to see what colours are, are, you know, are being shown throughout the shows. So it could be like the deep green velvet, which we've seen recently. And um, that I remember seeing that three years ago and thinking like, wow, that's got a huge amount of impact. And it's quite a brave colour at the time. And now, obviously, it's it's become very much sort of familiar on the high street. So it's anything. It can be the arts, it can be music. Mostly when I'm approaching commercial interiors, it, it's the architecture itself. So it's making sure that you do justice to that. I remember when I was doing the British pub on the quay, um, one of the things that I noticed, well, you couldn't help but notice, was the amount of layers of interior that had been put into it over the years. So it had lost its coherency with its actual architecture. And then you only have to go in there to see how beautiful it is and its setting. And, and, you know, that was something I wanted to strip it back and sort of bring back the building. You know, I, th- I think it's easy to say as an interior designer, a bit like Lawrence Wern Bowen, where you kind of go in and you say, this is what you must have. And I don't think that's the job of a designer. I think it's, you know, it's about understanding what the building or the client needs and sort of how you approach it. And, not you know, not being too terrifying with the, with the <laughs> concepts as well. They were terrifying as well, weren't they? They were Changing quite terrifying, rooms. My yeah, goodness, yeah. oh yeah. There was definitely real... a theme, wasn't there? <laughs> <laughs> and everything was so glitzy and loud and wow. Um, yeah, but definitely. I can see I can see exactly how you connect that experience um, with being a portrait painter because I suppose essentially you're, you're trying to extract the essence of something. Is, is being an interior designer something you always wanted or is it something that you found that came to you? Because it's amazing how, um, especially in creative industries, how these different strings to our bows come into our world yeah no absolutely I think um no is the answer is a blunt answer it wasn't something I had thought of I had studied fine art and was very much 
heading towards being a portrait painter by trade. Um, and then I spent some time in London and um, I ended up working in uh, creative industries in London and that really opened my eyes to what else was there. Um, and I think commercially I wasn't really, I didn't enjoy painting for commissions. I had a commission when I was 19 and it really showed me what the reality of being a portrait painter would be. And it completely put me off. I, you know, it took all the pleasure out of it for me. And now I get to create these beautiful interiors and, and you know, creative spaces. And I don't have to stand there or sign it and say, I did this. So I really have this weird connection where I love what I do and I love the interiors I create, whether it's like the boatyard or something like that. But I don't necessarily need to go there and sit in it. It's like sitting in your painting somehow. So it's a weird kind of like relationship you have with what you're doing. Um, but yeah, no, I think all the different things I've done in my life, so whether it was... Um, going to art school, whether it was going to drama school and ended up painting sets for two years off scaffolding and, you know, or whether it was working in The Guardian and, and, and working with the arts department. All of these little things put together a connection for you. And even, you know, even now we have a, like a small shop and um, I worked as a child in the Foxdale shop with Ada Cumberland, who's very, a big local local woman who's just wonderful. And, you know, I know now that, you know, having watched her work, there's things I take from all the skills I learned from my time there as a teenager, you know, to where you are now. I think everybody does that. You end up in a place and you think, oh, all these different stories have led me to where I am. So I'm really lucky. It all eventually makes sense, doesn't it? Even when you're sort of (laughs) in one of those jobs where you're like, oh gosh, what's the future in this? What's the next step? Um, Yeah, yeah, it's amazing how you say like all the pieces of the jigsaw eventually um, come together. How has all of that influenced how you work day to day? Because in our creative pursuits, um, I think, I don't know, when we speak to songwriters, some of them will say, oh, I've got an answer machine and I'll think of a melody and, and call my answer machine and leave a message for it so that I don't forget it. Or um, painters might have like a little sketchbook or something like that. For you, when you know you've got a, a commission coming up, something that you're trying to develop, what does that process look like? Um, what what sort of go-tos do you always have? Do you always have a pen in your pocket or something? I'm just like trying to imagine. What what does it look like? Yeah, well, the answer is yes. Simply, it's a, it's a sketchbook or a notebook and a pen and always making sure you have something to hand to doodle. I can remember being really young and, and almost being told not to doodle, you know, at school and... But I think that is incredibly important. Um, uh, I know we talked off air about the, you know, the, the how important the arts are, and you know, and, and it encouraging children in the arts. And I think that's one of the reasons that, you know, I, I think have a sketchbook to hand if you are creative. Always have the idea, you know, be able to put things. And people use phones now as well. And um, but for me, it's very much a doodling process. Still, I'm still sketching. I'm doing um, work for the NSC, the new cafe there, and and also the, another restaurant in town. Um, well, and, and and again, it's just that thought process. It's making sure you've got something to hand that you can jot down any wacky idea that you may have because it might make sense when you come to put it together. And there is no, um, there is no formula. There's no. I, I'm very much. I can't sit and make myself come up with a design. It very much has to flow quite naturally. And it can be that things come to you from the middle of nowhere, and you think, oh, you know. I remember doing the railway pub, and I was in Paris for one of the furniture shows, and I was walking through Charles de Gaulle Airport, and I had this amazing new wood-cladded corridor. And I remember just thinking instantly, oh, that's exactly what I want to do 
in there. And, it, you know, you can't explain that to somebody, but I remember taking a quick picture and thinking, okay, I'm going to use that somewhere. And it can come out of nowhere, you know, the ideas, and, and you will use them at some point. So it kind of makes sense in a roundabout way. And in your role, you must have to communicate these visual ideas with so many people who are helping you to realise it. How, how do you go about doing that? Is that something that you'll you'll have to present um, sketches and drawings or mood boards or how does how does that how does that happen? The best way to do it is to be as comprehensive as possible. So um, if you're working with a contractor, I tend to put together a lookbook and the lookbook will have any key sketches or design points in it. So if you're designing furniture, which I've done um, before, it's really good to put everything down there, dimensions, materials. If you have samples of materials that you're specifically looking to use, you know, make sure they're in there. And I think the, you know, to, to be honest, the only time mistakes ever occur is if I haven't communicated something strongly enough or, you know, in, in the right way, I've, I've just assumed they understand. So I think over the last sort of 15 years, if anything, I've learned not to leave things to chance. It's um, it, it's almost being a little bit like a control freak because you kind of like, you know what you're trying to achieve vision wise and you can't just assume they get that. And I think, you know, it's managing expectations as well when it comes to the client side, making sure they understand what, what will be achieved when you get to the end of a process. So, But I love that part of it. I can remember years ago feeling really uncomfortable standing in a room with like 20 guys trying to explain to them what I wanted to create. And then I realised the more you put down information and the more you can give them, the easier that process becomes. So, yeah, no, it's it's all part of it. It's a lot of a technical drawing, which is something I used to hate. So I, I would never say I wanted to do that. It's that controlled sketching and things. Um, but it's all part of what you have to do, yeah. With any project a creative takes on, there's a bit of you in it. There's always something which is distinctly you. How do you feel you are, you know, your identity comes across through your interiors? Because I suppose, um, uh, like you said before, how you quite like sort of being behind the scenes in it. People, you know, people are experiencing your work without seeing your name all over it. But it must be quite a satisfying feeling to think, oh, like this is still me. They still are experiencing it. What's what's your connection with the spaces you create? I think um, it's a really unusual experience. So um, I really enjoy the projects when I'm working on them. I, I find the creative process challenging, exciting. No one day is the same. I think once you've completed a project, you almost are handing it over, whether it's to a commercial entity or whether it's to um, a private client. So with private clients, the lovely thing is, is you get to create homes, you know, they may look beautiful, but they're functioning homes. And that just feels so rewarding. Um, and you, you're doing things right down to the detail of, of fitting out a bathroom and, you know, accessorising a bathroom. And it could be detail like that. Or you could be sketching out a layout for a house and deciding where the windows are going or what kind of material it's going to be finished in. Um, and with commercial interiors, it, it is, it's like, it's like finishing the painting. It's, you do the bit you're there to do and then you hand it over and you hope, like with the team that run the boatyard or Andy Hardy recently with Good Stuff, you know, you hand it to them and it's down to them what they do with it. I love the idea of people going and being stimulated by the environment, but I know what I do is a small part of it because really then it's the offering that, that, that the, 
you know the commercial team are, are doing whether it's a restaurant or a bar so it, it's kind of like a thing you look after and you nurture and you grow and complete and then you just hand it over I guess yeah, it's, it's quite a unique area of the creative industries, I suppose, because it's it's delicate. What you're doing is you're creating environments in which people will make memories. Like people could have the best days of their lives in interiors that you've created. And the way they feel, the way that think that day goes will be influenced so much by their surroundings. So that, I mean, I think it's so special. Um, when you think about it compared to the, the portraits that you were painting, I mean, do you still... Do you still paint portraits? Do you still do any painting? Because I think so often life gets in the way and our our passions, you know, things that we're really, really, we really care about, can it can be so hard to keep them up as well. I'm very fortunate that I get to still do etching and I do do ceramics now. Um, but the intensity isn't there as it was when I was younger and, and I don't do portraits actually at the moment. It's not to say I won't. I've definitely got the got the material set up and a few canvases ready to go um but again I think it's a process it's quite like design it's an emotive response and it's a bit like you're saying about people's response to interiors I think it's it's such a lovely thing to be able to create interiors because I think people's emotive response to colour and to design it, it is wonderful you know I know that at Bradder Glen for example lots of people are quite shocked by the colour palette I think if if anything people know my interiors by the fact that they don't shy away from colour and um, I, I know there there's been so many weddings and that's a lovely thing that's a nice thing to think that people have enjoyed getting married there. But again, I know my bit was very small and really it's down to the offering that the team there are doing. But it's a nice feeling. It's a nice thing. I can't help but wonder if your dad has been a big influence on your interest in the arts and creativity. Because we interviewed him on this programme years ago now when he had an exhibition at the Hodgson Loom Gallery. Mm. And um, I mean, the way he taught, he's just got so much passion um, that must have been a, a huge part of your your growing up, your interest in the arts and sort of what direction you were going to take, I imagine. Definitely. And I think Dad was so, ex you know, so enthusiastic. And as children, Graham, my brother and I, Graham's actually a designer too. He works in the music industry. He's just finished working with Jarvis Cocker. And he do, he's done, you know, work with Kylie, he worked with David Bowie. He's done some amazing things. And um, I, I guess Graham and I are both shaped by... Our childhood. Um, our dad was a, you know, phenomenal creative person. I, mean, I think we were wood carving by the age of three, and you know, it, we were brought up surrounded by art. It was it was very much a norm for us to, you know, if there was a quiet time to be sketching or painting. And our grandparents as well. Um, um, both were really prolific painters, and you couldn't really get away with much. So to be honest with you, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, a field that I wanted to go into. Um, too competitive and too many good artists around um, but um, yeah I, I would say we were very fortunate to have that kind of childhood influence and, and still today you know have somebody who's so enthusiastic if a bit critical now and again <laughs> aren't they all I mean but um, he was he was head of Douglas Art School wasn't he yeah he, right. he worked at Douglas uh, the art school in Douglas I think when Norman Sale uh, yeah. And David Byrne were there, I think. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we were, this may be pre-Graham and I, and when we were little, he was working up at St Ninian's and um, childhood memories, remember, you know, going into the to the arts room and being able to do ceramics and, and you know, use materials while we waited for Dad if he was marking or something. Um, so it's, 
you know, it, it, we were really lucky. I suppose you look back now and think, gosh, that was, it felt very normal, but actually we're very fortunate yeah. to have that. Yeah, I mean, it's wonderful. And I can I can understand you saying that it felt like quite a, because everyone around you, um, you know, in your family growing up had so much knowledge of the arts and, um, and yeah, I imagine would have shared their critiques. Um, so I can, I can see how that would have been quite an in- intimidating industry to go into but I think for so many of us regardless of what media we use the arts creativity is a refuge of some sort how how do you feel when you're in that space what do you go to when you need the sort of the therapy of the arts I suppose I think it's um, it's a really big question at the moment isn't it because I know with them reducing the arts in school and for a lot of people, that there's a lot of grey areas of like what career path can they take when they're creative. Um, but for me, I think, you know, again, it's your mental well-being. Is to, to, if you are creative and you don't utilise it, I think it can be quite stifling. You know, I know a lot of people who I was at art school with who are incredibly talented who haven't been fortunate enough to work within the arts. And, you know, I, I see frustrations and, and stresses that are brought from maybe jobs that they like but it isn't where they hope to be so again that's where I feel incredibly fortunate to do the job I love I mean I wake up every day and go to work and love what I do I mean I know that's quite rare and you know I I definitely feel very blessed to have that so I think with anything creative arts or music you know anything you know literature I think it's it's something that's really good for your soul I think it's something you have to explore if it's something you're passionate about I really hope that it encourages people, you know, children who are in school now that want to follow a career path, you know, into design of some shape and form. I, I get a lot of people coming into the studio wanting to do work experience and I just, I would say go for it. Don't be held back by the limitations that you may feel not being in London or Manchester or a bigger city where you're more exposed to different areas of design you know, follow it through. You know, I never thought for a minute I would compete against the woman that does the Rocco Forte hotels and, and get a contract, you know. I, I Also, I Googled the wrong chap when I went for the interview. So, you know, there's all these different factors that can happen, but I would just say I hope it shows people how approachable, you know, and how accessible design is, you know, and I really hope it encourages, you know, another 17-year-old who doesn't quite know which way to go into a into a career within interior design you know that's what I would hope it encourages them to look at it definitely Thank you so much to Romana for sharing her story with us this evening and so much wisdom as well thank you very grateful for your wise words If you want to stay up to date with her latest projects, you'll find her on Instagram as Rumana Swinton Design, or you can pop along and say hello in her studio shop on Ridgeway Street in Douglas. That's all we have time for this week, but do join me again next Wednesday after six to catch up on creative happenings around the island. Have a lovely creative week. Sun you.